0: I like this one. It's got it's a good, good beat, vocal. doesn't it? Yeah, it does. It reminds me of that episode of space where he's like jamming out to the uh <laughs> to the traffic light Stop yeah. The, <laughs> Okay, yeah, so I'm guess it's my turn to guess. Yep. Obviously, if I get it right, I'll be in the lead. guess <laughs> I suppose uh, that would be true, yeah. <laughs> doesn't seem likely that I will. It's not something, like, super obvious you trying to humiliate me or anything, is it?
1: Um, I, I don't think so, no. <laughs> okay. Unless you've got a story history with this species that I'm unaware of. <laughs>
0: Seems unlikely. You know most of my relationships with frogs and toads. <sighs> is it, like...
1: Can I have a little clue? Yeah. Think about what we're talking about this episode.
0: Okay, 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 okay. We're talking about invasive toads. Right. Again, yeah, we love
1: toads. So part of that's valid. And also space-wise, in terms of geographic region, this guy overlaps with one of the toads we're talking about. That doesn't narrow it down. That's a rubbish clue because between them, they pretty much have a global distribution. So it shares space with the Asian common toad.
0: Okay. Oh. um. (laughs) Could it be. Is it a reed frog? Oh, no. No, go on. We tell me. Put me out of my misery because I'm just never going to get it.
1: This is the lesser toad or the Malayan dwarf toad. It is. Indrophrynus parvis. Ah, so it's just a little toad. Also previously called Bufo parvis as well. About four centimeters, four or five centimeters. Males being smaller, being about three centimeters. Tiny. They are just tiny little toads. They're found from like Cambodia, Indonesia, Malaysia, Myanmar, Thailand sort of region. They're toxic, classic. So don't go licking them. <laughs> Lucky you said that. You had it in your mind, didn't you? You thought, oh, tiny toad, they're bite-sized.
0: The lesser toad is the common name, right?
1: Lesser toad is one of the common names, yeah.
0: Mm, I've certainly never seen one of these, have you?
1: No, I haven't, no. They say on the uh, Amphibia webpage that they like to live in rubber plantations, but Ah. will do primary and secondary forest, and even some gardens. So they seem pretty classically toad-like, that they'll be everywhere if they can make it work.
0: What I like about these is that they do look like miniature versions of the toads we're going to be talking about yes, today. exactly. Is, did that factor into it as well? Because it literally just looks like a tiny little cane toad or like a Asian spine toad with like the little markings on it.
1: I'm not going to lie. My first priority is finding a sound, which is interesting. <laughs> so I had several yeah. candidates, but then with this one being a toad and we're talking about toads, easy win. Easy win. <laughs>
0: Nice. I like it a lot. So yeah, we're gonna be doing something slightly different this episode. We're doing an episode about toads. Obviously, with Ben as one of the hosts of this podcast, we have to revisit toads at least every sort of four to five episodes, otherwise he'll kick off. Is that fair to say, Ben? You're
1: looking a bit put out. Depending on how you define kickoff. I mean they're they're toads, they deserve attention. I don't think they do. No one should be fighting against that statement. Yes,
0: yeah, they they do do deserve attention. So
1: we're going to be doing a paper about the two
0: probably most famous invasive species of toad, the Asian black spine-toad or the Asian spine-toad, Datafrinus marinostictus, and the cane-toad, Rinella marina. Um, Obviously, the Asian spine-toad has invaded Madagascar now. And the cane-toad very famously introduced to Australia in 1935 by the Bureau of Sugar Experiment Stations, The idea being that they would eat these native beetles in Australia, the grey-backed cane beetle and French's beetle, which were gobbling up all the sugar cane. But of course, it's a famous example. They didn't really do that. They just ate absolutely everything else. And everything that ate them was poisoned because they're super poisonous. So yeah, it's a big, big disaster. I think the Bureau of Sugar Experiment Stations, don't know if they're still doing experiments, but I hope they've reined it in. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. And so, yeah, two very similar toads, two, both big toads, very similar, except for Asian spine toads originate in South Asia, whereas cane toads originate in the Americas. But before we go into the sort of paper, which is a paper about, well, these two toads, we're going to do a little bit of a quiz, a little bit of something different. So... So, yeah, I thought we could do a little quiz here, Ben. We know you're a toad man. Let's see how much you know about these two species of toad. I don't know and... much. i calling it now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I would probably struggle. I'm but the good thing now. is with this quiz, they're all multiple choice. And the two multiple choices are either Asian spying toad or cane toad. So if you... If <laughs> I get less
1: than 50% l- correct. You actually
0: have anti-toad knowledge. Yeah. But yeah, this was suggested by one of our patrons, Hayley, who said... That our quizzes were fun and we should do another one, so I thought this would be a good opportunity to get stuck in and do this. You wouldn't say you're feeling particularly confident, Ben? No, in not this quiz? at all.
1: Absolutely not. <laughs> no, I have, I have very
0: little confidence. <laughs> okay, well, let's have question one. This one, you know, a nice little easy starter, maybe. Although I actually would struggle. Which species has the largest natural range?
1: Largest natural range? Asian
0: spine Ooh. toad. Or the cane
1: toad? Largest natural range. I'm going to go with Asian common toad, Asian spiny.
0: I'm sorry to say that's wrong. God damn it. <laughs>
1: Both Asian spine toads
0: and cane toads have extensive natural ranges. The cane toad has. Oh! I'm wrong. I misread. You're right! <laughs> yeah! I- You're right, man, yeah. No, the cane toad. Wait, what did you say?
1: I said the Asian spine toad, being more. Okay, sorry. Well, we may. (laughs) what a roller coaster yeah, you it's actually wrong <laughs> it probably can't be
0: that hard to compare two numbers I've got the word cane toad and Asian spine toad written down in front of me like 50 times it's pretty chaotic it's Okay. Pretty chaotic. Okay. so no sorry mate the cane toad actually does have the largest range Asian spine toads and cane toads native both range. have big ranges yeah native range okay the cane toad's native range is nine point seven million kilometers squared, and the Asian spine toad's range is only six point nine million kilometers squared. So the cane toad wins. It's pretty it. close, though. Yeah, pretty close, and both massive ranges as and well. The, so um,
1: presumably, the cane toad is winning for overall range because of its
0: I would think so wider because, distribution
1: yeah, when it comes to invasiveness
0: in Australia. Yeah, because it's right. almost all the way from one side of Australia to the other now. Yeah, yeah, so. yeah yeah that's not one of the questions though unfortunately so that's you fine. Have no points. i'm
1: just trying to that. provide the people more context and redeem some <laughs> honor <laughs> okay so here's a, ne- here's a chance to
0: redeem Samana. which species grows the longest
1: i'm gonna go with cane toad because they're just beefier in general so i expect that some of that beef comes from svl rather than just sheer upward bulk
0: yes <laughs> pardon mate excellent females are bigger in both species but Asian spine toads, they can get over 15 centimetres snout to vent length. So that's pretty big. However, the cane toad females can attain snout to vent lengths of over 22 and a half centimetres. That's quite so a big chunk more. That is a big toad. That is a so huge toad. Well done. That one was correct. Excellent. Okay. Question three in our little quiz. We've got a bit of a multimedia, a multimedia one. So, I'm going to play you the call of one of these toads. And you've got to tell me which one it is.
1: It's just going to be a 50 50. I reckon, however, I reckon this is a cane toad because they sound squidgier.
0: <laughs> well, I'm sorry to say it. God damn it. But that is it. <laughs> Yeah, no. That was, in fact, the call of the Asian spine toad.
1: <laughs> Do you have a cane toad for comparison? No. Oh.
0: <laughs> sorry. No, I don't. But it's different than that. Okay. I can confirm. Yeah. I used to, imagine if they are identical. I mean, um, it would be but...
1: embarrassing, wouldn't it? And it would, again, give me a break. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: Listen, don't beat yourself up. You've got two more questions to redeem yourself here. (laughs) Okay. Next question, question four. Which species can lay the most eggs?
1: Ah, that's. I'm more confident with this. I'm pretty sure that's going to be the Asian spined toad.
0: That's correct. Ben, I'll give you a bonus point if you can tell me their maximum clutch size to the nearest 5,000.
1: I was going to say 5,000, so I guess I'll I'll go with... (laughs) 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 5,000.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, it's 40,000 40, eggs. 40,000? <laughs> yeah, 40,000 oh, eggs. From a
1: single frog?
0: Oh, it's come flying out of there. Holy smokes. Um, yeah, mental. And the cane toad can lay 30,000.
1: Holy smokes. Those numbers just don't compute for a single hard, toad producing. I is that in one wow. go or is that over the year? I think it's in one year. So not a single brood then?
0: It's never clear. It's honestly never clear. Mm. But I think I'm under the impression it's like in one breeding season. Okay. Okay.
1: Per clutch. No, it is per oh, clutch. per clutch. Okay. Per clutch. Yeah.
0: yeah. I really should have used the paperwork covering for this. It's literally in there. I did independent research, but it's good that I got the same numbers. All right. You got that one right. So, so far, Ben, you are, you've got two right and two wrong. So
1: this one will tip you over 50%. Excellent. Good as if, just randomly guessing. But this
0: is a hard one. This is a hard one. I'll be honest with you. I won't blame you if you don't get this one. So which species, after hatching out of its egg, becoming a tadpole, spends less time as a tadpole? So which one
1: metamorphoses quickest? Which one metamorphoses quickest? I reckon if we're following this sort of idea that Asian spine toads are smaller they're reproducing in greater numbers. Basically, be- is it case selected? I can't remember the terms, but the ones of being like, being like a rat, right? You produce a lot of young. You give them the bare minimum of what they need to survive, and then you set them off into the world. I'm gonna go with Asian spined toad because of that whole like high fecundity, low caring about your offspring thing. That's my guess.
0: I'm sorry, Ben. <laughs>
1: It's, cane toads. it's the just, cane toad. They're just rapid.
0: <laughs> so it's actually, there is a bit of overlap. So Asian spine toads metamorphose between 25 and 30 days after hatching. Okay. But cane toads metamorphose between 14 and 28. So generally cane toads are that faster. Seems quite a there is a, faster mostly, yeah. Yeah, there is a bit of an overlap. But yeah, cane toads are quickest, which probably doesn't hurt their uh, invasive potential. Right. Because... Yeah, only spending two weeks in that pool, if it's a place that might dry up or whatever, gives you a good advantage rather than spending three weeks or even four. So that's yeah, true. there you go. So you got two out of five, but, you know, they were hard <laughs> questions. I wouldn't say I would have done any better. But we had fun, didn't we? So that's that's the most
1: important. I'm thing. satisfied with getting two out of five. I'll take that. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> yes. So uh, let's introduce the paper, shall we, that we were going to talk about. So this is by... Kelly, Schwartzkopf, Christie, and Kennedy, 2023. The Toad Less Travelled Comparing Life Histories, Ecological Niches, and Potential Habitat of Asian Black Spine Toads and Cane Toads. Published in Wildlife Research. So, as we know, Australia has a bit of a thing with invasive species. We've mentioned the cane toad is like a massive invasive species that. And in Australia, biosecurity, anyone who's ever been there, I haven't personally, but I know that biosecurity is hot, hot, hot there. They really don't want anything coming into the country that's non-native, be it plant, animal, even like food. You're not allowed to bring any food in. We even have reality TV shows here in the UK where they sort of treat confused animals. The TV show, the premise is like border security Australia, right? So, you know, you get the old proper criminal who's like trying to traffic loads of cocaine or whatever. But then you also get these sort of like innocent, hapless old ladies who are just coming across, you know, on their holidays. And they've got a bit of fruit in their bag. (laughs) and They just get treated like common criminals, you know, like cordoned off. And there's all this like dramatic music. And it's like, you know, it's pretty savage. (laughs) Yeah, I don't really like those programs. I don't like those programs. But um The point is, Australians take biosecurity very, very seriously, and reptiles and amphibians are the most frequently detected stowaways when it comes to animals arriving. And this paper is essentially about the black spine toad and the cane toad, and how, if the black spine toad were to make its way to Australia, how would its behavior and whatever differ? Because these black spine toads are super common in Asia, obviously. Australia and Asia have like really tight links in terms of like trade and travel, mm-hmm, so there's mm-hmm. a high likelihood that this toad might one day arrive, and they essentially and it has to do
1: popped up in on islands closer to Australia where it kind of shouldn't be already.
0: Ah, so it
1: is sort of getting closer all the time.
0: Oh, well, that is a bit of a concern. So yeah, they basically wanted to do almost like a kind of um, risk assessment to see what yes. would happen. If the Asian spine toad were to actually arrive and um, how it would behave, you know, comparing the ecology of these two species to see how they would act if they found themselves on Australia's fair shores. And I suppose, should we just go straight into what they've sort of found about these two species?
1: Yeah, I think so, because it's basically a lit review with a little bit of environmental niche modelling sort of Mixed in, so it's sort of an odd paper structure wise, but um, it's got some really nice takeaways. What bit would you like to tackle first off?
0: Well, we could do the similarities in their ecology. Yeah, go for it. Yeah. Well, so they are pretty similar, really, in terms of how they behave, um, their reproductive histories. You know, you probably gleaned from the quiz. They're both very (laughs) laying lots of eggs and quickly (laughs) metamorphosing from their tadpoles.
1: Yeah, have wide distributions, indicating a sort of broad generalist sort of lifestyle. That's super good if you want to invade somewhere because you're flexible.
0: Yeah, they also have pretty similar feeding niches. They're quite sort of generalist. They like eat things that can fit in their mouths, essentially. Yeah. Again, a good thing if you're an invader. Obviously Asian spine toes are a bit smaller. Yeah, I mean I think that's probably that is broadly what they found about the ecology, isn't it? Like there wasn't much more to it than that.
1: Yeah, you got the same sort of toxicity problems. I mean, similar sort of reproductive stuff of breeding once or twice a year. It's interesting that um, cane toads
0: live a bit longer. 10 to 15 years versus 7 to 12 years. That would have been a good question for the quiz, actually.
1: Yeah, I wonder why that is. I am a little bit sort of cautious with some of these comparisons because the relative amount of study, this is one of the points in the paper, the relative amount of study on cane toads versus Asian spine toads is heavily in the cane toads' favour, and much of that research is from australia as well so the sort of knowledge of cane toads is skewed and the asian spine toad stuff is just there are gaps basically and even where there are gap aren't gaps some more work could probably be done because if you're thinking like maximum reproductive clutch or something you might not have ever found the maximum yeah it's true especially with quite a limited study so mm. and so
0: they also kind of did some um predicting of the suitable habitat for these species as well and the map for the cane toad is just like yeah the whole of australia is basically um suitable the northernmost parts most suitable and in the sort of east yeah and then for the spine toad it's like mostly the north actually not so much the sort of south or central or eastern australia yeah perhaps that suggests that actually they'll um if they do make it and a few have landed I think they've been intercepted. They
1: have been intercepted. Uh, I think it was 10 or so. Yeah. They do mention it somewhere. I can't remember the exact number of my but they have been intercepted. They have been prevented. There are certainly suggestions that the cane toad, We your point about them, the uh, Asian spine toads potentially not making it down to sort of southern areas or central areas, certainly, is that the cane toad appears to be more resilient when it comes to arid conditions compared to the Asian spine toad. So... Yeah, I honestly think that's like
0: a large part of the secret of toads, really. They're just, they're less prone to drying out. They are amphibians, but they're not
1: wet. Well, it does help that they also have this quite high surface area to volume ratio. No, quite low surface area to volume ratio. So they've got a lot of innards in them that won't dry out as fast. <laughs> I love that. Right? Right.
0: It's weird. Yeah. But yeah, so it kind of, I I mean, I guess the broad takeaway here is that if they do arrive, they'll probably be a really damaging invasive species, but they won't probably be quite as bad as the cane toad.
1: Yeah, I think there's a few little bonuses. One is that the Asian spine toad's call appears to overlap with more Australian species. The dominant call frequency overlaps with more Australian species, native Australian species, than the cane toads. So... What you might have with the Asian spine toad is a situation where they drown out and have a lot more direct competition with native frogs because their calls are over that same dominant frequency.
0: Well, wow, that's pretty crazy. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. So they might shout down all the natives.
1: Maybe. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Maybe. Gosh. Yeah. Things like that. I mean you just think <laughs> that's pretty niche little Issue to have raised. I, I think that's pretty cool.
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it is quite a niche issue, but you can imagine how it would propagate in a frog community. We've talked mm. a lot about in previous episodes, sort of frogs adapting their calls to urban environments and things like that. So a lot of these oldest, oh, this, this invasive species might do X, Y, or Z. Always comes with the caveat of the native species and the invasive species having this additional, like plasticity or flexibility in maybe their calls or. or just general lifestyles lifestyles mm. natural history
0: <laughs> lifestyle so yeah i can imagine a future where they have arrived and then now you just got you end up with a situation where you've got cane toads and asian spine toads dominate like battling for supremacy yeah. in australia yeah yeah uh, i
1: suppose they're probably immune to each other's toxins right i would imagine so because i mean the, the toxins exist in like most parts of the toads, so I imagine their mechanism they could probably handle ingesting it as well. Because they just so frequently would. And we do know that cane toads exhibit cannibalism at times. So Ah uh, yeah. Yes, I think they'd be fine. I think they could battle and the toxins wouldn't play too much of a role.
0: Hmm. But yeah, it was a fun paper to read. It was cool to um Yeah. Yeah, it was cool to see that, uh, you know, it's being very carefully considered by the Mm -hmm. Australians and uh, they're obviously taking painstaking steps to avoid this happening. They've learnt the lessons of the nine thirties.
1: They have. I think one additional thing that they note towards the end is that, so you you said the the range of the Asian spine toad potentially in Australia looks quite limited, right? Quite restricted to the north in the sort of damper, warmer areas. If you look at older, papers predicting where the cane toad could go they're a lot closer (laughs) basically there has been a a shift in what cane toads appear to be able to deal with so be that be a limitation of the modeling when it was done or be that a genuine shift in the toad's ability to deal with arid sort of climates and that sort of shift it's not like this model showing okay Asian spine toads are just going to be restricted Their Job done. Close the book. Because it does seem like cane toads have done better than predicted in some ways, certainly based on some of the older papers.
0: Yeah. So, yeah, there is this kind of question that there might be some kind of evolutionary... Or sort of adaptive potential yeah. for Asian spine yeah. toads to kind of develop a better ability. I mean, yeah, yeah, you know, we did all those papers about the cane toads getting longer legs at the front of the invasion line. Mm-hmm. And animals which are invading are under, are under really strong selective pressure Can to be. Yeah. Yeah. be good at invading sometimes. Yeah. So, yeah, it's totally feasible that they become more dry tolerant and actually, yeah, surpass everyone's expectations. Hopefully we'll never find out because... Hopefully
1: we won't find out.
0: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. The incursion will be stopped. Yeah, I really hope that we don't get to talk about that. Actually, that would be super nice be for all of yeah. Australia's native animals. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, border police, you know, be kind to the elderly people. They they just want to eat their fruits. But yeah, stop those stop those toads. <laughs> so, excellent. I think that about sums it up. Have you got any other business this week? No, I don't have any other other business. Okay, so I've got a couple of bits. We've had a message from Paul Duren, and he has given us some comments from the Loggerhead episode. Now, he said something here which I don't understand, Ben, so maybe you can explain this to me. He said, I loved Ben's casual aside that Frog and Toad are best friends. I read these books as a lad and loved reading them to my kids. Top shelf literature for sure, and seldom mentioned on Hurt Podcasts. What is this? You said frog and toad are best friends. Or did I say it? I don't know. <laughs> What's it from? I can't remember. <laughs> it's obviously from a book. Ah. Is it Wind and the Willows? No, it's um there's literally a book called Frog and Toad Are Friends and it's a book geared for kids who've just started reading on their own but need help. So I think Paul probably assumed that you'd read that. Do you remember that book? I have no recollection, have no recollection of this book whatsoever.
1: <laughs> Sorry, Paul. I was Paul. probably making some, some... I actually have a suspicion. Accidentally. I
0: can't, yeah, I can't even remember that being said. Maybe, Yeah, one of us must have said it. That's hilarious. Well, in the distant future, or well, maybe not that distant, but if I have kids, I'll have to pick that one up. Anyway, he also said some stuff about turtles. So Ben, I actually noticed this on a re-listen as well.
1: Was I talking nonsense? Well...
0: Not any really nonsense, but there was a point where we were talking about the underwater vision of turtles. Yeah. And you said that turtles, you know, it was the ones that were fighting. It was mm-hmm. loggerheads, right, I think? Yep. And, Something um, like that. And you mentioned that there would be distortion under the water in their vision. I would imagine so. But actually, because they're aquatic, their eyes are probably calibrated for seeing underwater. And apparently I looked it up and they are. So the reason we can't see underwater, the reason it's blurry for us, is because our cornea is like bent yes. to refract light outside water yep so it doesn't work underwater
1: but apparently theirs do that makes sense i would only add one counterpoint is that our eyes are adapted for looking through air yeah yeah and yet differences in temperature and density of air distort our vision as well yeah Mm. i'm just thinking is that more or less likely to have Distortion of different temperatures in water, or not potentially less so because water's more stable temperature-wise. So you're more likely to get weird distortion in air than you are water, hmm.
0: right? Yeah, I would have thought so.
1: Yeah, there's not. I don't think these turtles are swimming around thermal away. vents, are they? <laughs> no, no, so, no, no. So they're totally fine, are they? They're totally cool. They got it I down. Think
0: so? Yeah. Apparently, most turtles, I think they have like a almost like a spherical cornea, whereas ours is like a bent disc. Yeah. And it works better underwater. I mean, that makes sense, though, doesn't it? Apparently, though, if a turtle sticks its head above the water to have a look, apparently they're very short-sighted.
1: Well, that makes sense, because they're all geared to deal with the underwater situation yeah. and distortion.
0: But I also, th- apparently there's a big difference in the way that freshwater turtles and seawater turtles see the world. Like, the way that their eyes are
1: configured. That also makes sense, right? Because salt affects density. Exactly. Density is affecting yeah. light bending, right?
0: Yeah. But yeah, so turtles can see underwater. They can probably see quite well. A lot of them are sort of visual predators. So, um, so yeah, there's no excuse. There's no excuse for them for not their being able being to
1: Because they don't know no. what they're looking they at. They can
0: see well enough to fight.
1: Yeah. Okay. I like that. That makes sense. That's yeah. good. That's one suggested side that can be completely put in the bin. <laughs> yeah.
0: It's always nice to get a correction. And then... Paul also said, lastly, speaking of badass chelonidae, turtles and tortoises, yep. did you mention on an earlier pod the video of a loggerhead fighting off a tiger shark? Seems like that little rocker could see pretty well since it grabbed onto the shark's tail and went for a brief sleigh ride as a <laughs> cougar grace. <laughs> Have you seen that video?
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> I think we've mentioned it where like the turtle, so it's a loggerhead turtle versus a tiger shark yeah. and the tiger shark keeps like swimming op- open mouth towards the turtle and the turtle repeatedly turns its back on the shark to present its shell which it can't bite through and at the very end i'd never noticed this bit but at the very end of the video the loggerhead goes after the tiger shark bites onto its tail and it like gets dragged along for a bit so yeah that that does suggest they can see quite well
1: certainly Um, well enough to bite a tiger shark yeah yeah no i'm perfectly happy with this this sounds great i mean it makes a lot of sense that they do have something to deal with that i suppose in my mind i've always imagined that they have just made up for it with other senses.
0: Mm. yeah.
1: And I think probably there's an underlying bias that makes me feel like turtles have returned to the ocean and they're still like children of the ground and therefore haven't fully... You know, a fish has been there forever, right? Yeah. (laughs) So so I don't expect them to be better. It's a stupid thing. Nothing I'm saying is real here, but I just feel like they're more sons and daughters of the ground and therefore... (laughs) Not quite adapted enough, which is totally unfair on them.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so we've got one more piece of other business. This is from Frederick Griesbaum, our go-to amphibian expert. And oh, a few episodes ago now, uh, we had Hyla Arborea, the European tree frog, yes. as the frog call. Yes, And I think I said it was an explosive breeder. Apparently it's not. It's absolutely not they can be found calling almost the whole late spring and early summer, and females arrive to the water bodies in many cohorts. So yeah, they actually are not explosive breeders, they're sort of more long, we- stretched out breeders.
1: Okay, just for my own clarity, do we actually have a cut off of what counts as explosive and not? What's the definition that you would apply? Like they breed once a year, very particular time, prompted by a sort of downfall of rain or something, as opposed to a season, regardless of how long or short that is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's our distinction. Yeah, cool.
0: I think so. Yeah, basically, yeah. Scarce water. Yep. rain comes. Yeah, everyone goes mad.
1: Right. Whereas our tree frogs here, it's a season, even if it's not massive, it's not explosive because it, they could do it any time during that season, and it's not tied to like a sudden, relatively unpredictable sort of weather event
0: yeah excellent yeah cool well um yeah i think that's it unless you've got any more other business no you i don't
1: know i think those are wonderful wonderful corrections and i apologize for insulting turtle vision in general <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: so yeah thank you frederick and thank you for
1: yeah they're great and if anyone else wants to get in touch if
0: you've got corrections for us you can herphighlights at gmail.com is the address for that and if you want to get find us on social media you can we're on all the social media platforms and i think all that remains to be said there is thank you for listening
1: yeah thanks for listening